Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Good morning. Good morning. I am Jenna Ellis and I am back with you this morning after taking off a couple of days last week to go to Atlanta and get arrested. Can you believe it? Um, This is not something that I had on my 2023 bingo card, but here we are in the United States of America where the justice system is being weaponized against uh, political opponents and their lawyers. This is the criminalization of the practice of law and uh, just a remarkable time, I think, in our history as a country. We talk on this program, and I talk all the time, about legitimacy in law, the institutions of government, and how uh, the entire system in America is designed to preserve and protect our rights that are God-given. And when institutions go outside those margins and those contours of legitimacy, then we see how the system can very easily be abused and be weaponized. And so I now stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with uh, the other Americans across the country that have been targeted by the weaponization of government, uh, like pastors outside of uh, Planned Parenthood clinics that are teaching pro-life messages that are then raided by the FBI with uh, parents who just want to know what's going on in state-funded schools and are put on domestic terrorism watch lists uh, simply because they want to know what's going on in their in their child's education. Um, we're seeing so often that now the specifically the democrats and the left are trying purposefully to target to intimidate to censor and to silence um, americans if we don't go along with the preferred narrative and this never used to be this way in this country because we all had not only the right to disagree um, and have political opposition that's what elections are about that's what politics are about that's what uh, that's why we have all legislative authority that is given to the body of Congress so that we don't have uh, just one tyrant in office, one king that holds uh, the ability to make law to execute it and then is judge and jury. Uh, We separate our powers uh, in America and we debate and discuss. Um, That's what legislatures are designed to do. And yet we all have to at least have the same foundation of uniformity and unanimity on what the purpose of government is if we want to achieve what makes us a more perfect union and advance toward the betterment of America. And some of the response that I've seen on social media has been just totally fascinating to me from just a a purely uh, I think political science philosophical perspective as someone who loves the U.S. Constitution, who loves the the ideas of freedom and liberty that are so implicit in the design of our country, 
that is God-given because we are founded on the biblical worldview insofar as we understand that our rights do come from God and that every human being is uh, is is made by God, is created in his image with inherent dignity and worth. We have to understand together that we at least agree on reality, right? We at least agree our rights come from God. Human beings have inherent dignity and worth. There's a difference between a man and a woman. Um, you know, there, there are laws of nature and of nature is God. We can't do something as crazy as repeal the law of gravity in the legislature. I mean, you know, some of these things that are just so fundamental, we're now debating and arguing and, and, and a, 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 a sort of, I, I guess I don't really want to characterize them as a leftist, but you know, somebody who's, who's prolific on social media, who um, generates a lot of conversations, I think just to provoke controversy, but certainly is not a conservative was responding to me yesterday um, because I posted uh, my mugshot, which, yes, I actually now have a mugshot, um, which which is just totally bizarre to me. And and on one hand, this is totally really serious, but on the other, obviously. But then on the other hand, it's like you have to keep a sense of humor. You have to just almost laugh at the absurdity of where we're at because the intention of all of this from the left is designed to demoralize us, to intimidate us, and to try to get us to back down from speaking truth. That's what the censorship on social media is all about. So I refuse to be demoralized. I refuse um, to to care ultimately for the purposes of eternity about anything else other than my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I have joy and hope in the resurrection. And so, of course, I smiled. Um, anyway, so so I, I had posted my mugshot compared with the liberal leftist screaming at the sky from the inauguration of, of Donald Trump back in uh, 20, January of 2017. And I said, you know, look at the, the difference between conservatives and leftists. And so then there was somebody who responded and he posted his own photo, not a mugshot, because um, he hasn't apparently stood up for anything in his life, but uh, posted his own picture um, two times, same exact picture and said conservative leftist. And I responded, I said, well, then you're confused. Because if you think that you can simultaneously hold those two worldviews together, then you clearly don't understand what either of those worldviews are actually standing for. We can't be so confused that we we can discuss and debate anything within our our scope of government and to say that in civil government we can debate and discuss the parameters of reality. The reason that America has functioned up to this point and we need to continue to protect and preserve our rights, the reason that America I believe will persist as as long as God allows and does not enact ju his judgment upon America is because we recognize that unanimous declaration that our founders understood was the purpose of government, that it's to protect and preserve our God-given rights. Because if we don't even agree unanimously on reality first and then the purpose of government, then who gets to define what is good, what a more perfect union means, what liberty and the right to pursue happiness. I mean, we, we just talked a couple of weeks ago on this show about uh, the... Uh, What's his name? Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is the uh, th this he calls himself a scientist, but he's he's a performer at this point, saying that to pursue happiness means that you get to wake up today and decide what percentage of male versus female you feel. That's ridiculous. 
And that has nothing to do with the right to pursue happiness. That has nothing to do with being grounded in reality. And so I say all this to say that we have to, as conservatives, as people who are trying to conserve something, which is fundamentally reality, fundamentally that we are made in God's image and our system of government we unanimously agree on the scope and purpose and limitations and legitimacy. If we don't do that, then we are allowing the dam to break open and we are seeing now the disaster of how the system of government can be weaponized against conservatives and against political opposition in a way that was never designed and never intended and will ultimately lead to tyranny. That if you don't go along with the preferred narrative in any way, whether you are a member of the press, whether you are a lawyer, whether you are a political candidate, whether you are a pastor of a church, whether you are a parent, no matter what your scope is, you can't ignore this now. This touches all of us and it has touched all of us. And I've been saying this for a long time. But now, uh, with so much attention on the fact that I've now personally been targeted, um, which I've been targeted by, you know, a few other things in just, you know, the last couple of years in the aftermath of serving uh, President Trump. But um, this is now a another platform, I suppose, for me to be able to say to you that this matters and we have to take this very very seriously and one of the things that we cannot do as conservatives is simply turn the other way and say well because i don't agree with um you know this particular pastor 100 percent of his doctrine you know maybe he's a catholic or maybe you know this is i don't i don't agree with something else about his church then i'm just going to look the other way when he's arrested and um and taken away and the fbi uh, raids him. Well, well, no. If if we object to that happening just on the the basis of disagreeing personally with something that is not relevant or material to the weaponization of government, we have totally lost what is going on here. And we are in the midst of a political primary, and I'm going to talk about that. Um, in the next segment with my good friend uh, Josh Hammer, and we're going to talk more about that. And primaries matter. But ultimately, we cannot divide as Americans and as conservatives and particularly as Christians and say that just because we disagree with some aspect of of a person's political position or who they are or, or even what they believe about God, that then we don't stand up for what's right when they are targeted outside the parameters of a weaponized government. And this is why it is to me, and not an inconsistent position, meaning it is consistent to say that I stand with President Trump, and I have, for those of you who have listened to this program, I have stood with President Trump against the weaponization of government. I was on this program with my good friend Alan Dershowitz when the first indictment was handed down in New York saying this is wrong, this is political weaponization of government, here's what I think about it, here's why it's wrong, we talked about it. And so I'm going to consistently stand with whether it's Trump, whether it's anybody else in this country that is targeted wrongly and say that is wrong. That doesn't mean that on that basis, I believe necessarily that Trump should earn my vote in the primary. 
Now, it may be that he does for some of you, and that's totally fine. I think that there are legitimate reasons. If we look at a metric of how to uh, exercise our vote in, in the best way possible, there are definitely reasons uh, to vote for him. But I don't think that we can conflate the two. And what I've seen on social media as well are, you know, a lot of these leftists that that think that we can separate our worldview and our understanding of American government from what's going on with all of us who are being targeted. We have to get back to unanimous principles, to understanding what this country was founded on, and to make sure that we are willing to stand up and say, no, that is wrong. And then we are still willing to allow free and fair debate and in the midst of a primary, select the best candidate and may the best man win. Um, I, I think that what is going on with some of these legal opinions from some of these lawyers um, who, by the way, are not getting targeted for their bar licenses. I don't see anybody indicting them for these legal theories, but um, but that's par for the course, right? Because it's only targeted against conservatives or, um, you know, people currently who've worked for Trump. And, you know, if DeSantis wins the presidency, they're going to come after them too, um, unless we have good precedent, legislative solutions, good judicial precedent. Um, but some of these lawyers that are saying, that just because Donald Trump, quote unquote, participated in an insurrection, right? And they're using that term purposefully to describe January 6th. And they're using it so that they can manipulate the language of the 14th Amendment and say that without conviction and even with acquittal in his Senate trial and the second impeachment, without any of that, they say that the 14th Amendment is self-enforcing and therefore Donald Trump should be removed from the ballot in multiple states. And of course, these are um, generally states that that are opposed to Donald Trump as, as a political opponent. And that is absolutely absurd. We should not weaponize our constitution to generate a preferred outcome when clearly President Trump qualifies for the ballot and this wasn't an insurrection. It's totally ridiculous. But this, do you see what's happening here? The left is trying on purpose to manipulate and warp every single thing that they can designed for one purpose, which is to tear down the institutions of government, which ultimately means to tear down our freedom and liberty so that they can push in a socialist communist regime. We have to stand up and stand firm. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And I am back with you out of the slammer, out of uh, out of jail, which is just absolutely absurd and, uh, and, and absolutely ridiculous. And I'm so grateful and thankful for all of you in the AFR family and the uh, and also the greater conservative community, um, friends of mine who have uh, rallied in support of my defense. Um, so many people, my my friends from from Daily Wire, uh, Dan Bongino, Mark Levin, uh, Dinesh D'Souza. I mean, all of these people that that you all know as well. 
um, who have openly supported me. Uh, my friend Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee. I mean, just so many people from the greater conservative community, um, even who aren't lawyers, that, and, and some of them are, I mean, Mark Levin, of course, and Ben Shapiro, but, um, but from the greater Christian community that are also supporting me and from the greater conservative community, that has been so incredibly meaningful to me. And I think just shows that people understand and recognize what is going on here. And so thank you for all of your emails, uh, for all of your kind words. You can always reach me, Jenna at AFR.net. And we have reached over $175,000 in the Legal Defense Fund. And I am incredibly grateful for that because this is not inexpensive. Uh, to defend. I'm not a person of uh, personal wealth. And so I'm very grateful for people who have given. If you want to uh, support that fund, you can go to givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. That's givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. And I'm very, very grateful as well for the attorneys in Georgia who are representing me along with um, my regular lawyer, uh, Mike Melito, who is out of uh, Colorado and has defended me previously on um, the the bar license uh, issues and how the left has tried to weaponize that and tried to disbar me, the January 6th committee subpoenas, and, and on and on and on. So, you know, this has just been a, a, a targeting for the last um, almost three years since President Trump uh, left office. And so so it's incredible. So uh, another good friend who um, who supports me as well and whose legal analysis I always greatly appreciate is my good friend Josh Hammer. Regular listeners will recognize him and he is the senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer show in Newsweek and definitely gives amazing commentary there. So uh, listen to his podcast wherever you stream. So Josh, um, I appreciate you joining me this morning and so much to get to and I want to get to the presidential uh, debate and and some of that because um, you know I actually got to watch that that evening when I got out of jail, which was great. Uh, but first, I wanted yeah. to get just your take overall on uh, this indictment. Yeah, Jenna, thank you for having me on. Obviously, after it's been a very tumultuous era in your life, and God willing, this will all be sorted out soon, um, I, I, I hope and, and I pray. So, look, I mean, when, when it comes to this indictment in particular, I, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I, I think... I think for the former president, it's potentially the most perilous, actually, of the four, as far as just trying to kind of play out in kind of game theory fashion how this might unfold for him. I mean, very simply speaking, you know, even if he were to, you know, win the presidency, which I, you know, frankly hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I think would be somewhat of a long shot, but even if he were to kind of if he's a nominee, pull that through over Joe Biden in a 2020 rematch, he would be able to pardon himself, of course, for the federal crimes, but no such luck for the state crimes. I saw, you know, I saw our friend Mark Levin try to make an argument that he actually does have the constitutional authority. It's kind of an innovative kind of, you know, twist of a constitutional argument. Uh, with all due respect to, to Mark, I'm, I'm not buying that one. I, I do not think that the president has any authority to pardon himself for state crimes here. And, you know, the, the sheer number of co-defendants in this particular case, uh, you know, I, as you obviously know, being, being one of them, uh, I think opens up the possibility for, for some of them to potentially kind of turn to the prosecution. And obviously here you have a, a fairly hostile Republican governor to the pres former president and Brian Kemp, Brad Roethlisberger, who's at the center of all of it. So 
Uh, obviously, Fulton County, Georgia, being a, a very anti-Trump county. So all of that doesn't very play well to, to Trump's particular favor there. So if I were him, I would probably be the most worried about this of all the four. Now, having said all that, um, and getting to kind of your situation, um, I, I, I've, I've known John Eastman for years, another co-defendant here. I consider John a good friend. I, I, you know, Jenna, I did the Claremont John Marshall Fellowship at the Claremont Institute back in 2018 when John Eastman led that program. I mean, that's kind of when I really first got to know John. We went to the same law school, University of Chicago Law School, so I hadn't heard about him. But, you know, I, I mean, seeing people like you, seeing people like John, seeing people like Jeffrey Clark, who I also know, you know, I have these mug shots. It, it, Mark Meadows, for God's sake, Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. I mean, for for heaven's sake. I mean, I grew up in the New York area. I was I, I was 12 years old when 9-11 happened. I mean, some of my formative memories of first coming to my political convictions were Rudy Giuliani, you know, there with George W. Bush and the rubble of 9-11 with the megaphone with the FDNY, the NYPD. I mean, it's just disgusting. I mean, it really is just loathsome and disgusting, and it makes your blood boil in a certain way that I'm not quite sure really was possible. Um, and on Thursday evening in particular, when Trump had his his mugshot, I was getting dinner with, with my fiance, and I turned around and I had Fox News on the background, and I saw this mugshot come across the TV, and I just kind of started staring like I, I couldn't look away at it i mean it was just obvious to me in that moment that we were looking at a very uh, a, an iconic photo for for better or for worse in american history and um it truly is a crossing of the rubicon that we will never come back from but when it comes to my personal friends here in particular people like you and john eastman maybe above all else I, i'm really just praying that there will be a modicum of justice in this outrageous political persecution well, I appreciate that so much, and um, and I I am praying as well that truth and justice will prevail. And and speaking of of the mugshots in in particular, you know, this to me was a ridiculous exercise in an attempt of public intimidation. I mean, that's all that it was because um, all of us, at least the the lawyers and also. Uh, Donald Trump had filed uh, a consent bond. And for those listening, that just means that you agree with uh, the district attorney on the amount and the terms of bond and the court has signed off on that. And, you know, none of us, to my knowledge of of the lawyers in Trump have any criminal history, you know, nothing um, other than a, a stellar reputation. I'm in good standing with my my bar association and um, attorney regulation in Colorado. And yet, uh, we were not able to simply file that bond and then um, appear at an arraignment and leave. That is, generally speaking, in these instances, what happens. The only reason that you would have to actually be taken into custody uh, would be if if the bond is in controversy or you know there's some other outlying situation. Um, but to actually force all of us to fly to Atlanta to surrender and then in in and for me in particular, um, I was taken through this hallway. I mean, it was literally like a movie where you have um, the the Fulton County Jail that is way overpopulated, and this is known and has been reported that it's it's like t- over twice its capacity, and have all of these these um, inmates that are in cells that are you know banging on the wall, catcalling, saying you know really vile things, and then walking into basically this pod of general population of men 
and and then being taken, having a mugshot, fingerprinted, you know, actually being in custody and and having to go through that experience. Um, to me, Josh, all of that, uh, when I went through that, I just thought this is designed to try to intimidate us. And then the next day when I'm thinking about and seeing, you know, that the Trump force one is taken off and I'm thinking, contemplating, having just experienced that the day before that Donald Trump, love him or hate him or anywhere on, uh, in between, he is a former president of the United States being subjected to that kind of attempt at humiliation. It, it, it was so infuriating to me. Because this should never happen in the United States of America. And and regardless, I mean, people who listen to my show know that I believe that Governor DeSantis is the best conservative candidate for president on any metric. And we can talk about this in a minute. But that does not stop me from saying that should never have happened to Donald Trump. And my sympathy went out to him. And, and I mean, and I tweeted my support of him. And I think it was absolutely wrong utterly absurd and completely antithetical to our system of justice in this country to subject a former president to that type of attempt at intimidation. Yeah, I, I would agree with every single word that you just said there, Jenna, and it's kind of, it's kind of harrowing, frankly, to it kind of raises the hackles in the back of my neck to hear you describe that bone-chilling experience of kind of going through this this walking of the plank. I mean, that's really kind of what it is, right? I mean, to kind of go back to kind of the the piracy on the high seas of hundreds of years ago, where they would, you know, try, just try to embarrass their 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 enemies, their enemies of the regime by making them walk the plank. It sounds like that's really kind of what you guys there in Fulton County went through. I mean, look, this obviously to me was a, an exercise in public humiliation. I mean, if you think about kind of the purpose that a that a mugshot in theory serves for a prison warden, for a prosecutor, for a police officer. I mean, in theory, something like that serves to more easily and readily identify the person, you know, for purposes of bail, posting bonds, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, the defendant in this case, no more, you know, obviously no one more than the former president himself, but even people like you, John Eastman, and Rudy Giuliani, for God's sake, I mean, these are easily recognizable figures here. So, I mean, there is one – there is really only one reason to, to, to make you go through that exercise, which is just a flexing of the muscle, which is a demonstration of force, which is a, a, a proverbial announcement unto the world that here we are. You know, in this case, I am Fonnie Wilson. I am the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney, and I am going to make you bend to my will – and I am going to use taxpayer dollars to do so. And it, it, it's tragic in many ways, in, in, in every way, I should say. It's tragic in every way that this is, that this is where we are. But this, this is where we are. I, I mean, in every which way, Jenna, when it, I mean, criminal prosecution, the weaponization of the federal law enforcement apparatus. We've seen the arrest of pro-life activists, especially in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs case at, at the federal level. Obviously, we saw kind of the Merrick Garland memo when it came to the critical race theory uprisings in October, November of 2021. This, this law enforcement apparatus is completely and entirely weaponized, but, but, it's, but it's even more than that. I mean, just recently, I think it was just this past week, 
I think, what, what was it? It was the DOJ or the Department of Labor announced they were opening investigation into, into Elon Musk's SpaceX because he didn't adequately consider refugees and asylees for employment purposes, which is just a fancy lawyerly way of saying he preferred to hire American citizens over over those who are here on various sorts of, of visas or refugee laws. You know, our Byzantine immigration code allows you lots of ways to get in, obviously. And I, I, again, the only reason they're doing this in that particular case, is because, you know, Elon Musk has, has made Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now, you know, a, a free-for-all when it comes to free speech, and therefore, ipso facto, he has become an enemy of the Biden regime, which, as we've seen in the Missouri versus Biden big tech litigation, likes nothing more than to control speech and to suppress speech when it comes to the online arena. So hey, every which way they're doing this. I mean, they're, they're, they're flexing their muscle across the entirety of the political and legal spectrum here. They are punishing their enemies, and they're making a mockery of the rule of law and this wonderful Republican doing so. It's really shameful. It, it is. It's it's so disgusting and despicable. And I'm talking with my good friend Josh Hammer, who is the senior editor at large at Newsweek and host of the Josh Hammer Show, also at Newsweek. And so, Josh, this this begs the question then of where do we go from here? Because I think that in this moment, especially seeing Donald Trump's mugshot, uh, seeing the uh, the culmination, I think, of what the regime is attempting to push and and seeing that they're brazenly doing this across all spaces. I mean, this isn't just against Trump. When when the Trump campaign tries to suggest, you know, oh, this is just targeting him, that's just factually not the case. I mean, this is, yes, they're coming after Trump, but they're going after everyone who doesn't bend their will to the preferred narrative and who has any modicum of power in this country in terms of a, a of capitalism like Elon Musk um, or has a voice like a lot of these uh, conservatives that are being censored and silenced on various platforms online, um, like we saw with the, the doctors who didn't go along with the preferred COVID narrative that were silenced. Um, so all of these things, this isn't just about Donald Trump at all. And I, and I think that's a very important point. Everyone that I have talked to, even Democrats, I mean, there are some some people and some friends of mine that have not only given to my legal defense fund, but have have texted me, have have emailed me and have said, this is a crossing of the Rubicon. We can't stand for this. This is not anything that I support. And so I'm seeing this well across the political spectrum. People want accountability for this and they want to make sure that we continue to preserve our country. And and so we have to then ask the question, what can be done about this? Because we, we're seeing a multifaceted attack on our constitutional republic in the name of protecting democracy, which which our good friend uh, James Lindsay actually posted this amazing thread that I think everybody should go and read um, that talks about how this is a Maoist tax- tactic. And we are seeing the multifaceted attack to dismantle America. And we have to have better solutions than just these strongly worded letters and these, you know, openings of investigations that, in my opinion, will really do nothing other than give three minute hits on Fox News. 
And so when we come back, uh, Josh Hammer, we have to take a break here, but I want to get your take on what can we actually do within the legislative, the judiciary, um, who is best to run the executive, because these are the, the solutions that we need to have. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And before the break, we were talking about the weaponization of government across all levels and how conservatives really need to understand what is going on here with the push from the left to dismantle our institutions of government, to tear down the rule of law and to usher in their regime of communism and socialism by force. And we need to point out problems, but we also need to provide solutions. And so I'm talking with my good friend, Josh Hammer, who is the senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer Show at Newsweek. Uh, Josh, where do we go from here for accountability? What are solutions that we actually can fight for and provide? So, yeah, I'm signing very much because this is like the million this the million dollar question is it's very much what keeps me up at night and i have thought about this a lot for, for years now so look, i i i i think two options or i and these are not mutually exclusive propositions here i think these two strategies should be taken in in consonance with one another uh, very much kind of in tandem with one another so on the one hand we can continue to do what we are doing when uh, when it comes to appointing good judges and, and finding good prosecutors. The name of the game here, and, and, and the reason this is worth underscoring, is because that requires winning elections, which I, I, it sounds so simplistic and easy and almost silly to underscore and emphasize that. But I feel, Jenna, that so much on our side has imbibed such a, a victimhood martyrdom mentality because of how we see how all society, the regime, higher education, Silicon Valley, all the powers that be are, are tag teaming up on us, conservatives or people of faith, traditionalists and so forth, that we kind of have this victimhood idea. But you have to win elections to actually govern, to actually put judges, jurists, prosecutors, lawmakers at the place who can actually do something about it. So the very, the very first thing that I would say when it comes to actually fighting back is to focus on that, to actually getting candidates who are capable of getting across the finish line even before we get to the idea of what they should do once they get into power. And, you know, I, that is but one of many reasons why I, like you, um, I am a supporter of, of Governor DeSantis's over President Trump because, you know, whatever we might say about President Trump's horrific Legal predicament, I, I simply am, am not bullish. I'm not optimistic about his chances of defeating Joe Biden in, in a presidential election next fall, which is really unfortunate because Joe Biden is such a tragically weak incumbent figure who was palpably senile. But again, it is what it is. The second thing and, that yeah, go ahead. you have to do. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that um, oh, uh, before we get into the to the second point, just really quick, I think that we have to focus on who is the best candidate from all metrics, but especially who has the best likelihood and chance based on their record and, you know, everything that we know. And I 
I think looking at how Governor DeSantis has been able to generate so much support, um, how he turned Miami-Dade County red, how he has a really, really good ground game, um, and just the the fact that he isn't currently um, the target like Donald Trump, we have to ask and answer those questions. And uh, like you, I believe that on that metric alone of election integrity, um, Ron DeSantis, in my view, because of how he's been able to clean up Florida um, yep. and is the best for uh, for uh, the, the GOP nomination on that metric as well. Yeah, totally. No, I, I look, I mean, uh, you know, Trump can talk about the stolen election all, all he wants to. But the million dollar question is, what have you actually done to prevent the next one from being stolen? And, and, and I'm not entirely sure exactly what he personally has done on that metric. Governor DeSantis. Um, among, among a small handful of other Republican governors, he really has taken concrete steps, actually, to secure election integrity in his own state. But then the, the second and perhaps per, perhaps more controversial question is then what to do when, when you're actually in power. And, you know, Jenna, I've been, I've been one, one of the vocal folks on the right for the past few years who has talked about the imperative of, of actually trying to wield power to reward the causes of justness and righteousness and punish the forces of evil, again, within the confines of the rule of law and constitutional authority. And, you know, I, I think maybe a year and a half ago or so, whenever it was that you and I had kind of a friendly disagreement about kind of the DeSantis Disney spat, but to me, that was kind of a, to me, that was kind of a shining example of what to do when it comes to actually trying to make an example of those who are trying to kind of push evil, who are trying to push toxic ideology, of really just trying to send a message, and it really is partially symbolic just as much as it is substantive, just to try to kind of keep others in line. And then when you get to kind of the prosecutorial element of this, and this is probably the most controversial part of it, but I've been saying it for a while, so I might as well say it to your audience too, is I genuinely do think that like in order to just rebalance this pendulum, which has gotten so wildly out of swing, just to try to make the left fear the repercussions of going as far as they have a little bit, just to try to get it back, back to somewhat of kind of a, of, of a neutral playing field. I really do think that conservative prosecutors, DA, especially in kind of, you know, bright red jurisdictions, you know, West Texas, Oklahoma, whatever, I think it's time to start indicting some of their folks as well. I mean, there's no reason, for example, why some, you know, very red jurisdiction in West Texas, a district attorney there should be able to find you know, you know, some sort of, of, of tort or fraud claim or something like that to drag Anthony Fauci or someone like that in, into court there. And again, I, I hate the, that this is where we are, but I think that, that at some point, simply for purposes of rebounding the pendulum and getting us back to an even playing field, you have to fight fire with fire to an extent. And when I, I think it comes really down to some of these more kind of perhaps creative prosecutorial ambitions on our side as well. Again, it, it's tragic that, that this is where we are, but I'm just trying to be sober and realistic about our situation. And I'm speaking with Josh Hammer from Newsweek. And, uh, and Josh, I mean, I, I agree with you that if we just sit back and do nothing, then the left gets away with keeping us always on the defensive posture. And, and you know, and I even saw a, a post from uh, President Trump on, on Truth Social, whether it was late last night or early this morning, I saw it early this morning, where he is uh, basically outraged at Congress for just talking about 
this potential impeachment inquiry and doing nothing. And I agree with that sentiment because it does seem like the Republicans are so reticent to to actually go after um, the, the Democrats when there actually is something to go after. I mean, Joe Biden, there is a legal basis and a constitutional basis for impeachment. And yet the left went after Trump with totally just a pretext, and they were shameless in doing that and putting the country through two of those. And yet the Republicans just kind of sit back and say, well, unless, you know, we have this kind of ironclad thing and, you know, we we don't know about the optics and, you know, all of these little, in my view, totally pansy kind of responses. It, it's frustrating. Yeah, the Biden thing is a very good point, actually. I'm happy you mentioned that because when it comes to when it comes to the Hunter and Joe Biden stuff in particular here, I mean, this, this, this should be much lower hanging fruit than the example that I kind of just outlined about kind of a deep red jurisdiction in, in West Texas, Oklahoma, whatever, trying to drag Anthony Fauci into court. I mean, I mean this, this Biden stuff and this ridiculous kind of excuse of a so-called special counsel, David Weiss, with, with Hunter Biden here. Uh, I, I, I mean, th- this should be just very, very, very easy bait for Republicans. I mean, if you think about all of that Democrats did to Trump when he was president of the United States, from the Russia collusion hoax to Jim Comey to Bob Mueller to two impeachments, I mean, just the undermining every which, every which way. I mean, Carter Page and the surveillance all the way to the New York Post story of the infamous letter of the 51 deep state intelligence community officials who said that this was Russian disinformation. And Republicans now, you know, fast forward to the year 2023. They're still waffling as to whether to to file articles of, of impeachment. I, I mean, really, still. I, I mean, what are we doing about the fact that you know David Weiss, the same federal prosecutor who we now have credible whistleblower testimony, delayed and and stonewalled for years and years when it came to the Hunter Biden probe? I mean, what are we actually doing about the fact that this is the guy? who is, is somehow going to be a special counsel. I mean, uh, even holding aside the fact that that just flouts the clear language of the special counsel statute, which pretty clearly calls for, for an outside prosecutor, not someone who is an active U.S. attorney. So, you know, the whole thing with, with the Bidens sinks to high heaven. And, I, you know, I've noticed over the past few weeks as this thing has really started to boil up, as we as we've seen ever more evidence that Joe Biden knew plainly about his son's dealings. He would get dinner in Washington, D.C. with Hunter and the Burisma folks, with the Ukrainian boys, the Chinese, whoever Hunter was doing business with. You know, I've seen more and more, Jenna, even on our side, I mean, commentators, pundits, columnists who I think were once skeptical about the Hunter Biden stuff as potentially a bit of a distraction. Even they have, have gotten on board. And I'll give you just like one concrete example. Um, uh, Henry Olson, who is a Washington Post columnist and a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, a conservative think tank. Uh, I, I saw a column of his, I think it was last week, basically saying, you know, I've actually changed my mind on this. I now think that the Hunter Biden stuff is a very big deal and House Republicans should pursue this you know, very, very vigorously. So unfortunately, Jenna, that, that's kind of just the nature of House Republicans. They like to waffle while, while the Democrats do anything but waffle. Republicans are also typically playing checkers while the left is, you know, is, is playing, you know, 45D chess. Uh, that's kind of a joke, right, because we like to say that our side's doing that, but in reality, it's actually their side that's doing that far too often. Uh, but that's a, that's, a, that's a very astute point that you raised about the Bidens, I think. 
Well, and, and so then let's let's game through this out in terms of the GOP presidential debate, because I think so much emphasis was on what was going on with Donald Trump that that people talked about that a little bit. But it's almost like the, there a lot of people are buying this narrative from the Trump campaign that his nomination is this foregone conclusion and we shouldn't even be talking about the the best candidate moving forward. And I do think that we need to talk about this because as much as I would like the Republicans to take the low-hanging fruit and actually uh, start this inquiry, file um, impeachment papers against Joe Biden, start that whole process because it is so easy um, and, and there's so much there, um, the, the executive is a huge part of this. And if you look just at Governor DeSantis's record, and you compare that with Trump's first four years, the legislative wins are just totally not comparable at all. And if we really want to see some lasting solutions and someone who can go and maybe isn't the best entertainer, but you know what, that's not on my metric for president. I don't really care. I want somebody who can be in there who actually will get things done and will get things done in a more permanent direction, not just with executive orders that can be reversed day one of, of of a Joe Biden presidency. So what was your take overall on the presidential debate and how should people view that in the grander scope of going into 2024? So the debate itself surpassed its entertainment value, or at least what I expected. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching it. I mean, there, you know, there, there were any number of just, I mean, just from kind of a popcorn viewing perspective, it, it kind of surpassed, I think, the expectations that I had for it. I, you know, I don't think that there was one kind of dominant figure. I mean, there was no one person who the next day everyone was talking about as having been the singular dominant performance who destroyed all the opponents up there. Um, you know, most polling that I saw showed that DeSantis quote-unquote, won the debate if you had to choose someone. And I, I, I agree with that. I mean, he was the steadiest hand. He had numerous, very substantive, compelling answers. I thought his answer on the border, the cartel's immigration, was, was exceptional. He had a very good answer about, about crime and Soros prosecutors. He's the only governor in the country who has removed Soros prosecutors, and he's done it now twice, one in the Tampa Bay area, one in the Orlando area. So he, he, he had some very good moments. His answer about joining the military after 9-11, I, I thought, was 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 quite good as well there. And, you know, more generally, the, the notion that this race is already over, I, I think, is ridiculously silly. Look, it, it is August of 2023. We are four and a half months away from the Iowa caucuses. Uh, we'll see when Trump's legal troubles in, in all four jurisdictions start. They could potentially start, I think, as early as October or November in Georgia, but that'll probably get delayed. Um, as, as unfortunately, tragically, you know better than perhaps anyone else. But, you know, look, th th there are so many variables still out there. I mean, what will, what will Trump's predicament be, you know, four or five, six months from now? I mean, is he actually going to be in the midst of criminal prosecution in multiple jurisdictions? What's going to happen to his super PAC? They're, they're already increasing the percentage of funds that they're spending on legal defense bills. Is that going to dwindle? I mean, at what point do you start to see donors, you start to see Ronna McDaniel and the RNC start to encourage him to drop out for the sake of actually beating Biden? Maybe that point never happens, but it's, it's possible. 
And obviously, when it comes to DeSantis, the best thing that could happen to him is for some of these other candidates to start to drop out. So, you know, that was kind of the column that I wrote this past Friday was I I, I do think that as it gets closer to Iowa and New Hampshire, a consolidation around Ron DeSantis really is the, the best path forward for this party, for this movement, and frankly, for this country. And as a fellow supporter like you, Jenna, I, I hope that that happens. But it's going to require a number of those other competitors on that stage, of course, to do what is best for the country as opposed to what is best for their own personal ambitions. And I think what's best for the country needs to be the question. And people need to take this very seriously. We can support Trump against all of this. Um, support me, please, <laughs> through all of this. Uh, but we still need to ask and answer the question. Who is best to lead the country from the GOP nomination? And we need to be very, very serious about this. Josh Hammer, thanks so much. You can follow him online. And I'll be back with you tomorrow with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.